Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 22. As we continue in our series in the book of Exodus, free at last. We're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 15. Listen to the word of the Lord. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. And if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, he shall, uh, he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, where there is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed over and, or lets uh, his beast loose in, uh, and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best, of, uh, best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches uh, in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox or for a donkey or for a sheep, for a cloak or for any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath and shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor, and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, as we all now sit under the authority of Your Word, we ask again, as we do every week, that you would do that work in us by the power of your spirit through your word, that you would conform us into the image of your son and our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us now, we pray in his name. Amen. In Exodus 3, uh, God spoke uh, these words to the people of Israel, beginning in verse 7. The Lord said to the people of Israel, then the Lord said, I have seen, surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians." That's one side of the coin. And then he says, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. In the defining event of Israel's deliverance from Egypt, 
God demonstrated that His salvation would not only change the spiritual circumstances of their lives and that they would be brought into a new unfolding of His covenant relationship with them, but also that their earthly circumstances would change. They would be brought up from a land of slavery, a land of restriction, a land of need, into a broad land flowing with milk and honey. God would care, in other words, for their spiritual livelihood and their physical livelihood. And it is this faithfulness of God to care for both these aspects of our well-being that leads Jesus to instruct His disciples to show the greater concern for their spiritual livelihood, calling them to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. God was committed, therefore, to the spiritual and the physical livelihood of His people. And in these laws, we see God's commitment to that physical well-being of His people in the land He was about to give them, calling His people to show a particular concern to protect the physical livelihood of their neighbors, to guard against the theft or the destruction of those things that contribute toward their neighbor's well-being. And this commitment to protecting our neighbor's livelihood and being committed to our neighbor's well-being is expressed even more fully in the Apostle Paul's admonition to those in Ephesus when he writes in Ephesians 4, let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with those who are in need. God, God's people called into covenant with Him and promised all the spiritual blessings of that relationship are called in that same covenant to show a genuine concern for their neighbor's physical livelihood. Indeed, when we take what belongs to our neighbor or destroy what belongs to our neighbor or withhold what belongs to our neighbor, as we see in these laws, we are breaking covenant with God and with our neighbor. Brothers and sisters, we who have been brought into the blessings of relationship with Christ, who are now beneficiaries of the new covenant, are called to lives in keeping with what God called His people of old to. In fact, as I have tried to emphasize in other sermons, we are to go beyond protecting our neighbor's physical well-being to actually contributing to their well-being by taking of our own resources and giving them to our neighbor for their good. Part of what made the gospel so powerful in the first century was watching people who had no family ties, no social ties, no political ties, no economic ties, take of their own resources and generously give them to help their neighbors. And they did it through the power of the Spirit, in the hope of the gospel, and in the love of Christ. And this is our call today to continue to walk in this power, this hope, and this love, committing ourselves to our neighbor's well-being by protecting what is theirs and caring for their well-being. So, what do we see in these laws in general about caring about our neighbor's well-being? Well, the first thing we see, and we'll see it several, several, we see it several times in this passage, is the principle of restitution. 
Several times in, in this passage, the principle of restitution is set forth. We see it in verses, uh, verses 1 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 9 and 12 and 14. In each place, the law called for restitution or paying back what was lost to or stolen from a neighbor. In fact, the English word restitution is used several times to translate the Hebrew word meaning to make whole or to make good by restoring what was lost. Even in places where the phrase, he shall pay, is used, it's translating that same Hebrew idea of making it whole, making it good, making it right, restoring what was lost. And while restitution doesn't atone for the sin done against our neighbor when we steal or damage or fail to guard what belongs to them, it does demonstrate a commitment to make right what our sinful failure has broken. Only the Lord can provide atonement for our sins. Yet it is precisely His commitment to do so, as Israel will learn later in the sacrificial system, that would free them up to be a people who work to restore what their theft or their damage or their failure to guard has taken from their neighbors. This is why the story of Zacchaeus is so powerful in the New Testament. Jesus, Jesus' acceptance of Zacchaeus, his commitment to enfold Zacchaeus into his covenant people, led Zacchaeus to, to proclaim, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore fourfold. I've conveyed this idea before in other sermons, and I'm not burdened by continuing to drive it home when it comes up in the Scriptures. Freedom in Christ doesn't free us from responsibility to our neighbors. It frees us toward that responsibility. We are given power in Christ through the Spirit on the basis of the forgiveness we have received to Him to make right where we can what our sins have damaged. Restitution isn't political, it's biblical. It isn't political, it's, it's biblical. If I can be shown that my actions or my indifference toward guarding what belongs to another has caused harm to their livelihood, then reversing course should not be a burden but a joy. An opportunity like, like, like the one Zacchaeus was given to enter into the joy of the kingdom, the kingdom that puts right what is broken. Zacchaeus was not burdened by, by proclaiming that he would give back. He, he, he was filled with joy at the opportunity to do so. And so in each of these sections of laws about protecting a neighbor's property, the principle of restitution is set forth in cases where a person's failure to act in good faith is the cause of the damage. In matters of theft, verses 1 through 4, or damage, verses 5 and 6, or safekeeping, verses 7 through 15, the call is to work to restore what my sins have taken away from another. Restitution, brothers and sisters, means paying back or returning something that was lost, destroyed, or stolen from its owner. And the theft can be individual or it can be collective. Our own history is littered with examples of both, from the stolen land of natives to the stolen life and labor of slaves who were never compensated for their loss or for the work, uh, for the work, for the work, to the individual crimes of people taking what did not belong to them. 
And our present finds much of the same from poor neighborhoods preyed on through exorbitant interest loans to wars fought for the purpose of taking someone's land to the same individual crimes of people taking what does not belong to them. But Christians are to be those who not only refuse to participate in, in stealing or destroying what belongs to others, but who speak and act prophetically by supporting, defending, caring for those who have lost their things to, to theft or destruction. We should be those who cry out for restitution, who work for it in our world. This calls for honesty and our examination of our own lives as well as our examination of our history and our institutions. The Apostle Paul says, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So do I owe anyone? Have my own actions led to something that belongs to my neighbor being taken or lost? And if the answer is yes, and I'm, I'm called to this principle of restitution, I'm called to pay it back. And so the, the question for us to ponder this morning, individually and collectively, is, is do we owe anybody? Restitution, another principle in these laws is safekeeping. Beginning in verse 7, the idea of safekeeping is introduced. A person gives another his or her money, animals, or something else valuable to keep safe for them or to use for a time uh, in the case of, of animals or tools. Perhaps the person's home isn't sufficiently secure to keep their valuables safe or big enough to secure all their animals, or perhaps a neighbor needs to use an ox or another tool to work his own land. In such cases, the person seeks out the help of the neighbor to help uh, keep their valuables secure or entrust their valuable thing to another. In agreeing to keep the item safe or in agreeing to allow a neighbor to borrow something valuable, the neighbor is doing a good thing and demonstrating that protecting or helping to further a person's livelihood is not just an individual endeavor, but a communal one. Despite the hyper-individualism that sometimes pervades our hearts, we actually need others to thrive and survive. But this community aspect of… Uh, of thriving and surviving means trust, means trusting others who sometimes fail in delivering on that trust. And these laws call those who fail in that trust to make every effort to restore that trust by making good what their sins have damaged. Far from undermining a commitment to trusting each other where appropriate to guard each other's livelihood or to help further it, this text reinforces it by calling us to make good what has been lost due to our own sin. But it also calls those who lose their stuff in cases where the other has not failed or where liability can't be determined to accept the loss and to trust God. Accidents happen. Natural disasters happen. Things that are sometimes out of all of our control happen, such as is indicated in verse 8 and verses 10 through 11. In such cases, the call is to trust God, recognizing that everything we own actually belongs to Him and that He will take care of us. Indeed, safekeeping, whether we are the safe keepers are uh, or those entrusting our things to others for safekeeping is rooted ultimately in trusting God, who is the ultra, ultimate protector of all that is, of all that He entrusts to us. 
We can trust God because He not only promises to provide for us, but has provided for us. We can trust Him because if we lose everything, we are the children of the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We are the children of the one of whom it is said in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. This is why Jesus tells us not to worry about our stuff, for our Heavenly Father knows we have need of material things and will provide them, even if they are taken from us. Amen, people of God. At the heart of these rules, then, is caring as much about other people's stuff as I do about my own, such that when it's given to me, I guard it with the same care that I would my own. This principle should be true, especially when I am guarding something necessary for another's livelihood. And it should be true for individuals as well as institutions. The call is to care, and care is rooted in love. It means that I love my neighbor enough to care about their stuff. And this love is poured into our hearts through the love we have received ourselves from the Lord. Do you think God cares about your livelihood? He does. Indeed, He cares about your spiritual livelihood so much that He secured it through the promised Holy Spirit. It's been poured into your heart. If God cares so much about the greater thing, surely He cares about the lesser thing. And God calls us to have the same love and attention for one another. So ask yourself, do I care as much about my neighbor's well-being? about the security of their things, about the security of their lives, as I do my own. And where I find that my love is lacking, I can ask for the Spirit's power to love as God loves me. Amen, people of God. There's one other thing in this passage. Restitution, safekeeping, valuing. Valuing, that's the term I'm going to give to this. And I want to go back to verses 2 to 3 in closing, because there we, found a, a, we find a principle in these laws that I, I, I want to impress upon us this morning. The scenario envisions a situation where a thief is killed in the act of robbery. If the thief is killed at night, the text says there should be no punishment for the one who kills him. But if he breaks in during the day, there is to be punishment for the one who kills him. Why the difference? In ancient Near Eastern households, you couldn't just turn on a light switch to determine the person's intentions for breaking into your home. Were they there to steal something from you, or were they there to murder you? And given the fact that the person could not discern why the person was breaking in, his act of killing the person would be understood as an attempt to protect himself or to protect his family. However, in the case of someone breaking in during the day, the homeowner can better discern what was going on and would be liable for the person's death, particularly if they were, if they were able to discern the person's intent to be theft and not murder. The point is this. A person's life is more valuable to God than your stuff. A person's life is more valuable to God than our stuff. I'll say it 
The same thing in the reverse. Your stuff is not more important to God than another person's life. And that includes the life of a thief. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about the theft of your things or about consequences for the one who takes them, but killing a person solely to protect your material goods is not okay in the sight of God. Your goods may be able to be replaced, but a human life cannot be replaced. And if we want any further evidence of how far God will go to impress upon us the value of human life, even the life of thieves, then we look no further than our own salvation. For we are the descendants of thieves. God gave our first parents a rule. Do not eat from the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And tricked by the ultimate thief, Satan, they reached out and took what was not theirs to take, what they had been forbidden to take. But God, full of grace and mercy, made a promise to those thieves that through the woman's offspring, Satan's head would be crushed, even though he would wound that offspring's heel. Fast forward a few thousand years, and we see that offspring, that promised seed of the woman, crucified between two thieves. Don't miss the lesson. And one of them, a man who had spent his life walking in the footsteps of our first parents, who had spent his life taking from others, looked at the one in between him and his fellow thief, asking only that Jesus would remember him when he came into his kingdom. And that offspring, that seed of the woman, that promised one of God did not strike out in anger against the thief, did not call down fire from heaven against the thief, did not call on the angels to take him out. No, he turned to him in the midst of his own agony and replied, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't know about you, but I am glad that God loves thieves. I am glad that God loves criminals. I am glad that God loves sinners, for that's what all of us were before Christ. But Jesus looked at us, thieves though we were, and said to all of us who hope in Him, paradise. You should have been outside of my blessings, but paradise. You should have been outside of my kingdom but paradise. You should have been rejected, but paradise. You should have been, you, 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 should, you should have been dead, but paradise. So remember that the next time you want to take somebody else out because of their sins, remember that you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, but God. How many people in the, in the house know about but God? But God who was rich in mercy made you alive together with Christ. We were drunkards, but mercy found us. We were adulterers, but mercy found us. We were thieves, but mercy found us. We were criminals, but mercy found us. We were liars, but mercy found us. We were So I want to ask you this morning, do you value people's life more than your stuff? It's what these rules call us to examine. 
in a culture that tells us that our identity is bound up in what we own. Such a question may be easy to answer with our mouths, but far more difficult to answer with our lives. When Michael Brown was shot in Ferguson in 2014, several news outlets played a video of him allegedly taking something out of the store without paying for it. And that wasn't what troubled me. It was those who thought that such an act warranted him being shot dead in the streets. The association with his alleged criminality and his death. And that from some Christians, that troubled me. It takes, if God takes, no pleasure even in the death of the wicked. And I'm not making a judgment on Michael. Why does it appear that some of us do? The call for us is to consider our Lord Jesus' love, even for criminals, which all of us spiritually were. We must be careful about allowing our hearts to grow cold and callous such that we write off the criminal, not believing that they are worthy too of God's redemption. Let's not forget what the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. You know, if you, if you really heard what I, what I just said, you, you would actually be shouting, such were some of you. but you were washed. It didn't say you washed yourself. It said you were washed. You were justified and sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Former criminals and thieves headed to paradise. How about that? How about that? Thank you, Lord. I don't know about y'all, but I know what I was. I know what He rescued me from. I know what He saved me from. I know what He set me free from. So I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful that God looks at people who aren't worthy and says, paradise. Amen, people of God. We're called to care about the well-being of our neighbors, to care not only about their spiritual well being their spiritual livelihood, but their physical livelihood as well. And in caring about this, we are, we're called to restitution. We're called to restore what was lost or stolen from our neighbor due to our sin. We're called to safekeeping, to guarding what belongs to our neighbor, caring as much about their livelihood as we do about our own. And we're called to valuing, valuing the life of our neighbor above our stuff because we were valued by God who gave the life of His Son to grant us, former thieves, 
entry into paradise. May God give us strength as the church to care about the well-being of our neighbors for His glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You. We praise You. We worship You. We glory in You today. Some of us in here know what we were. We know what You rescued us from. And because we know we have put our faith in You and our hope in You, and we've been washed, we've been sanctified, we've been justified in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And that washing, that sanctification, that, that justification, it gives us the freedom, Lord, to care about others the way You call us to. And so I pray, give us hearts like Zacchaeus. Give us hearts, Lord, that are full of a desire to further the well-being of our neighbors and to restore to them anything that we have taken from them. Lord, give us hearts that care about our neighbor's well-being like we care about our own, and to be overcome with the spirit of guarding, safekeeping what belongs to our neighbor. And give us, I pray, Lord, your heart, even for criminals. Help us to be like you, the God who takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the God who saved a criminal while your son was giving his life for the salvation of all who hope in him. Ah. Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name.